Blog Talk Radio. The B I B L E, that's the book for me. The B I B L E, that's the book for me. by Goldfish, this and Chitsy Toll Radio, and now the start lesson, let's see, this is Fruit of the Spirit, Part 2, by John MacArthur, here on Chitsy Toll Radio. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and the Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called Found God's Peace. It's all about helping you defeat anxiety and know true and lasting contentment. Request your free booklet by writing to peace at gty.org. That's P-E-A-C-E at gty.org. Offer good in North America and Europe through June of 2018. And now, unleashing God's truth, one verse at a time, here's grace to you Bible teacher, John MacArthur. We are so thankful to be uh, 
right at the very heart of the Christian life in our study of the Word of God. That's Galatians chapter 5. So let me invite you back to Galatians 5 before we come to the Lord's table. We're in a section of Scripture titled, Walking by the Spirit. And I want to read the text to you, Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. You'll notice it begins and ends with a command to walk by the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery or drugs, enmities or hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So we're talking about what it is to walk by the Spirit. We've noticed that that is a command. It's a command in verse 16. It's a command repeated in verse 25. And we also noted that there is a conflict involved in trying to obey this command. In verse 17, our still unredeemed human flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. That's why living the Christian life is a battle, a warfare. We talked about that. We are in a war. It's the flesh warring against the Holy Spirit who is in us. And then following the mention of the conflict in verses 17 and 18 comes a contrast between the deeds of the flesh, verses 19 to 21, and the fruit of the Spirit, verses 22 and 23. So we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is making a case here for the fact that you don't want to go back and try to live life before God by keeping the law in your own flesh, because all the flesh ever produces is a long list of iniquities that we read. To live a godly life requires not that you muster up your human strength to make sure you dot the moral I's and cross the moral T's in life. But if you're going to honor God and um, satisfy God at the level of His requirement, the only way possible that you can live a life that satisfies Him is to walk by the Spirit. It has to be empowered by the divine Holy Spirit. Nothing you do in your flesh pleases God. So the point here is this. Paul is saying to the Galatians and others, don't go back and, and try to live by religious rituals and rules and laws and ceremonies and observances. Walk by the Spirit. All your best efforts in the flesh only produce sin. It is the Spirit alone who produces righteous fruit, and righteous fruit in particular listed in verses 22 and 23. 
So this is a call to walk by the Spirit. Walk means to take life one step at a time in the direction that the Spirit of God has ordained as revealed in the Word of God, and He promises to empower that kind of obedience. Now, I, I want to begin for us this morning after that little brief review by reminding you of some terms that are used to describe believers in Jesus Christ. Perhaps the one that is most common is Christian. In fact, we, we say we are Christians and we believe in Christianity. We use Christian as a noun. We use Christian as an adjective to describe a myriad of things that are suggested or laid out or observed or commanded from Scripture. We have Christian responsibilities, Christian duties, Christian laws, Christian commandments, Christian attitudes. Christian is a key word to identify us. It was a word that basically was first used by pagans who uh, mockingly said about followers of Christ, they are Christians. It's a diminutive for Christ. They're little Christs. They thought it was a way to deride people, but actually it was a pretty noble compliment to say that they were little Christs. And the New Testament uses that a lot. We are called Christians. And that is because we are Christ-like. We are following Christ. We are endeavoring to bear His image, to reveal His character. So we are Christians. Another very common word for us in the New Testament is the word disciple, most commonly used in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts. And there it is used about 250 times. It also describes us, and the word translated disciples is mathetes in the Greek. It means learner, student. We are students of Jesus Christ. We sit at His feet. We learn from Him. He is our Lord and Master. He is our teacher, our instructor. So we are called disciples, learners. Also frequently in the New Testament, we are called brothers and a couple of times even sisters, which is to say, that's the word adelphos or adelphe. Uh, it's to say that we're in the family. We're not just little Christs. We're not just learners, students of Christ. We're family members. We have been introduced into the family of God. We've been born into the family of God by the new birth, and we've been adopted into the family of God by the choice of God Himself to make us sons and heirs. And there's another term that we should be familiar with in understanding what it is to be a follower of Christ. We're called slaves. Slaves. The word is doulos. It appears about 125 times in the New Testament. And uh, sadly, when it is used to refer to believers, it is often translated servant. But it's not the word for servant. There are a number of words for servant. It is the word for slave. We are slaves. Kurios is the word Lord. Its, its companion word is doulos. He is kurios, Lord. We are doulos, slaves. That is to say, we give willing, loving, faithful obedience to the One who owns us, who bought us, who provides for us, who protects us. He is our Lord. We are happily 
His slaves. When we talk about who we are, we are little Christs. We are learners or disciples or students of Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God, having been born into the family and adopted into the family. We are slaves of our Lord and Master, and a joyous and willing slavery it is. But here's the one I want to focus on. There's another word, and it is the word that is used most frequently to describe believers in the epistles and the book of Revelation. So from the time you hit Romans to the end of Revelation, most frequently we are called saints. Saints. The word is hagias, holy. We are holy ones. And it's used over 200 times. We are saints. We are holy ones. Sad to say that word has been co-opted in uh, the past by the Roman Catholic Church who decided that being a saint was, was some kind of rare achievement and uh, had to be basically voted on by people with uh, religious power who could declare that you are a saint. And the criteria is that uh, you have done miracles. You have done verifiable miracles. And only if you have done verifiable miracles and lived a life of uh, magnanimity and, and great note can you be given the title saint. This has co-opted what is just a simple, plain designation for every believer. I know it's hard to think of yourself that way, and I, I know you don't go around saying, just refer to me as Saint Bill or Saint Alice. I have resisted the temptation uh, to sign my name Saint John. (laughs) But the fact is, it's true. We are saints. You are a saint. You are a holy one. It's it's, It's a little too much to admit that you are one for the simple reality that you don't act like one all the time. Correct? So you're a little loath to fully embrace the title. I don't even like being called reverend, let alone saint. We would almost think that if somebody ever did call us saint, it was a mockery. Oh, you think you're a saint? No, I actually am. Well, I've been in a lot of cathedrals. I haven't seen your stained glass window. But this expression is used to describe us. And it is continuously used to describe us. You come into the epistles and you're now in the life of the church all the way to the end in the book of Revelation and we are designated as saints. This is a, this is a great act of divine mercy, is it not? A great act of divine love and grace. To, to call us saints because we are. Because we are. I want you to understand this as such a common reference. So let me just show you a few scriptures that will help you to see it. Paul wrote Romans. So let's start where the epistles begin. And in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, he goes on, and then in verse 7, to all 
who are beloved of God in Rome, called saints. You have been sainted. You have been sainted. You have been canonized. You're all saints. These are young believers in Rome, and they are all designated as saints. This is a title that belongs to us all. In the eighth chapter of Romans, speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is praying for us and in His prayers identifying us as saints. As saints. God is not hesitant to call us saints. The Holy Spirit is not hesitant to pray for us as saints. Now let me show you just how common this is. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Colossians chapter 1, again, it's the same designation, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ who are at Colossae. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. And down in verse 10 refers to the return of Christ when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day. 1 Timothy 5 talks about widows. Verse 10, a widow is to be cared for by the church if she has washed the saints' feet. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, holy brothers, hagias, saint, holy brothers, partakers, of a heavenly calling. This is the effectual call of God that has identified believers as saints. And you're familiar with 1 Peter 2, 9, which says about us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy ethnicity, a people for God's own possession. This is just a few of the times when we are identified as saints. But I want to take you to 1 Corinthians because I think this makes the point in a very powerful way. Now remember, 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote, was written to assault all kinds of sins in Corinth. It's a long letter. It's a long letter because a lot was wrong a lot was wrong. But in spite of all the terrible things that were going on in Corinth, division, discord, disunity, fighting, strife, pride, bitterness, sins of all kinds, lawsuits, immorality, everything that's listed here, 
corrupting the Lord's table, being selfish. Still, all of that is addressed in this letter, but notice Paul's identification of the Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sainted in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. You are saints by calling. It is not your behavior that earned you the right to be a saint. It's not because somebody voted on you. You are called to be a holy one. And it is a true call, an effectual call. You are saints. In spite of your weaknesses, you are saints. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 17, If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Wow. You are the temple of God, and the temple of God is holy. Same word. You are holy. You are saints. Over in chapter 6, we know that they were suing each other rather than resolving things with the elders. So in chapter 6, verse 1, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know the saints will judge the world? This is a high calling. This is a heavenly calling. You have been called to holiness. You have been, you have been sanctified. You have been sainted. You have been canonized, to borrow a liturgical term. You are saints. Why can't you settle your petty differences without the world's involvement? This is how we are consistently identified and how the Corinthians consistently are identified. They are, in spite of their sin, saints. Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verse 14, says the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, the unbelieving wife sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children are unclean. Now they are holy. There can be real holiness in a family. Real holiness in a family. Over in verse 34 of that same chapter, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. In the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Here he's talking about the misuse of gifts, particularly speaking in tongues. And he reminds them that they are saints. All the churches of the saints. This church maybe should be Grace Community of Saints. Grace Community of Saints. That's who we are. And it's important that we understand that. That identifies us in the noblest way as those who have been transformed and given a new heart. Chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, concerning the collection for the saints. There were some poor believers back in Jerusalem who didn't have the financial resources they needed, so Paul was taking offerings that he might deliver them to the saints. 
And at the end of that chapter, near the end of verse 15, 1 Corinthians 16, 15, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, the first people to be saved in the province of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. That is who we are. We are saints. We are holy ones because the spirit of holiness dwells in us. We are the temple of God. The temple of God is holy. Which temple we are. Where am I going with all that? There's one conclusion. It is this. Salvation leads to sanctification. If you're saved, you're a saint. If you're saved, you are a saint. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been sainted. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When you came to faith in Christ, you were made a saint. Listen to Acts 26.18 as Paul reiterates his testimony. He says that God sent him to open the eyes of the Gentiles that they might turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sainted, sanctified, made holy by faith in me. By faith in me makes you holy. You are a saint. I am a saint. Sanctification is the work of God begun at salvation. He not only forgave your sins, He recreated you. You were born again. You have a new nature. Old things have passed away and everything is new. And once God started that, He cannot stop it. He will perform what He began. Philippians 1.6 He will bring it to the conclusion, to glorification. Well, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, then listen carefully, to illuminate the Scripture and empower the believer to obedience. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You're a saint, and as you study the Word of God, the Spirit illuminates the Word of God and then empowers the application of the Word of God in patterns of obedience. Now, the rate at which your sainthood progresses, and frankly, uh, we all would admit that some of us have a halo that's severely tilted. It may have fallen down onto our shoulder somewhere. And we know we're, we're not working with perfection, but be reminded that it is God who identifies you as a saint, which is at the foundation level the reason you ought to act like it this is who you are. But the rate at which your sainthood progresses is connected to the rate at which you're exposed to the Word of God, the illuminating work of the Spirit, and walk in the path of obedience. Times when you fulfill the desires of the flesh, your progress is halted. Spiritual maturity is a slow process. Spirituality is a moment's experience. You can come to Christ and be a believer for 24 hours, and you can be spiritual or you can be in the flesh. You can be doing something fleshly or something obedient. In that moment, you are either walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh. Maturity is the end result 
of the dominant experience of walking in the Spirit. That's what produces maturity. So when you see a mature believer who manifests Christ-likeness and the fruit of the Spirit, you know that he has been or she has been filled with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit over a long time to have reached real maturity. So the work of sanctification began when you were saved. You became a saint. Now you need to live out your sainthood. Now let me just compare for a moment being filled with the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 it talks about being filled with the Spirit here. It's just a good companion to our text in Galatians. And verse 18 of Ephesians 5 says, Do not get drunk with wine, that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. If you're going to be under the control of something, let it not be wine. That was what was done to induce, supposedly, communion with the deities in false temples. But rather, you be filled with the Spirit, not filled with, with alcohol so that you're drunk, but filled with the Spirit. And this is what will happen. You will worship. First of all, you'll worship. You'll speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. You'll, you'll be full of love. You'll be full of joy. And it'll express itself in worship. And then in verse 20, you will be giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. You can tell a, a person who's Spirit-filled, they are full of worship and they are full of thanks. And verse 21, they are marked by humility. They are subject to one another and out of respect for Christ. Christ is their model. He thought it not something to hold on to, to be equal with God, but laid aside His glory, took on the form of a, of a servant, the form of a man, went all the way down to death on the cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. So a Spirit-filled person is full of worship, full of gratitude, and marked by humility. And then he is or she is obedient. Spirit-filled wives submit to their husbands. Verse 22, Spirit-filled husbands love their wives. Verse 25, Spirit-filled children, chapter 6, verse 1, obey their parents. They honor their father and mother. Spirit-filled fathers or parents Verse 4, don't provoke their children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Spirit-filled slaves are obedient to those who are their masters. Spirit-filled masters give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and watching. So when a saint is filled with the Spirit, it manifests itself in worship, Gratitude, humility, and all relationships become what they should be. Spirit-filled people have marriages that honor God, families that honor God, and even external relationships that honor God. Being filled with the Spirit simply means being under the Spirit's control. Now go back to Galatians chapter 5, and let's take a look at the fruit of the Spirit again. The fruit of the Spirit is the proof of true Christianity. Did you hear that? The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that you're a true Christian. 
if all that is manifest in your life is what's in verses 19 to 21, the end of verse 21 says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The proof of true Christianity is habitual, manifest sainthood that shows up in these virtues in verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I told you that's not some kind of linear list of things that um, are somewhat isolated or a list from which you choose. It's a bouquet. If you're walking by the Spirit, you get all of it. If you're filled with the Spirit, it all happens. If you're filled with the Spirit, you will worship. You will be thankful. You will be humble. All your relationships will fall into order. The same is true here. This comes as a bouquet. You get them all when you walk by the Spirit. And we talked about love and, and we talked about joy, so let's come to the third one, which is peace, and we'll focus on that this morning. Peace is tranquility in the soul. Peace is tranquility in the soul. It is the experience of the Spirit-filled or Spirit-walking Christian. God is frequently identified as the God of peace, the God of peace, meaning that He in Himself is perfect peace, that there is no anxiety in God, there is no fear in God, there is no dread in God, there is no worry in God, there is no doubt in God, there is perfect calm. He is in complete control. And He is the source of dispensing this calm. The epistles offer the familiar salutation, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To have peace, I mean the real thing, you can only get it from God. Now, let's talk objectively and subjectively. When we talk about peace objectively, we're saying that objective peace refers to the Christian's relationship to God. That is to say, we were His enemies. He was our enemy. We were under judgment. We were under wrath. But we have been reconciled to God. Now we have peace with God. Peace with God. The preposition is the important word. Peace with God. We're no longer at war with God, nor He with us. We have peace with God. That's objective. That's historic. That's factual. Subjectively, now that we have peace with God, we experience peace in all the storms and trials of life. Peace with God brings the peace of God. Now that I have made peace with God, God is my Father, God is my protector. Christ is my Lord, the Spirit of God is my instructor and my assurance and my security for the future. God will keep all of His promises. I am His child forever. Since there is peace with God, I now have the peace of God flooding my soul. Peace with God, Romans 5 said, came by Christ 
reconciling to God all of us through His death. So now we have peace with God. Out of that comes the peace of God subjectively. That is why in Ephesians 6.15, the gospel is called the gospel of peace. It makes peace with God. It brings the peace of God. The peace of God is bound up in some of the brief benedictions of the New Testament. Here's one in Romans 15.13. May the God of hope fill you with all peace. Here's another one, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. That's 2 Thessalonians 3.16. May the God of peace Himself grant you peace in every circumstance. It's the tranquility of soul. Joy is kind of the exuberance of the soul over all that the Lord has done for us. The exuberance that is released when we know everything that we ever need or ever will need is ours. Peace is another way to explain a different kind of emotion. It's that calm confidence that eliminates all fear, doubt, worry, anxiety. Jesus said to the disciples in John 14:1, "Let not your heart be what? Troubled. You have nothing to fear. I'm going to prepare a place for you to come and take you to where I am. Again, like love and joy, peace is unrelated to circumstances. We just said that. Second Thessalonians. May the God of peace grant you peace in every circumstance. It is a peaceful heart based on trust in God's promises, God's power, and God's purpose. This is how we should live our lives, with perfect calm and peace. That doesn't mean that you should be comfortable when you sin. We're not talking about that. What the Word of God is telling us is if you're walking in the Spirit, you're not walking in the flesh. You're walking in the Spirit, no matter what comes your way, you will experience peace, perfect peace. So we talked about the nature of it. Let's talk about the example. We did that with the other two. Who's our example of peace? I love this little story. Go back to Mark chapter 4. Our Lord is with His disciples out on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes. Uh, Mark 4.35, the evening comes. He said to them, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, very, very strong storm. The waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, in the back of this ship, being tossed in a fierce gale, and he's asleep. That's peace in the midst of a storm. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? It reached the point where it was over. The boat was going down. He is in perfect calm. He got up, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Hush, be still. 
and the wind died down and became perfectly calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? They were afraid of the storm outside their boat. They were even more afraid of the God who was in their boat. They saw him control the storm. Jesus was sound asleep in perfect tranquility in the midst of a storm that threatened to drown everyone. That's the kind of confidence he had in the purposes of his Father. He knew that the Father had a plan and would fulfill that plan. He knew when to move, when to act, when to exercise his power, and he did it. Confidence in God that eliminates fear. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. This is an important portion of Scripture as we talk about peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, introduces us again to the God of peace. The God of peace will be with you. Verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. Because of that, go back to verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The God of peace is with you, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. There's no human explanation for it. There's no psychological explanation for it. It takes over guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the very peace that comes from God. It is the peace that belongs to God and was manifest in Christ. So we see the nature of it, that calm, settled confidence in God's promise. We see the example. It's Christ who Himself being God manifests the peace of God. But beyond that, as we saw in the others, there's a command to pursue peace a command to pursue peace. Go back, Philippians 4, verse 5. The end of the verse, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Did you get that? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious any time about anything, but rather than be anxious, walk in the Spirit by praying with thanksgiving, give your request to God, and your soul will be flooded with the peace of God that will guard your heart and your mind. That is a command not to be anxious, but to pray. Pray in trust, believing God's provision of peace. Colossians 3, we read earlier, verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. Did you know you were called to peace? You were called to live anxiety-free. You were called to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just a couple more. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, end of verse 13. Live in peace with 
one another. James 3, verses 17 and, and 18 talks about the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And then this, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker? Are you the source of peace? Is your own heart at peace all the time in any situation? And are you the one who brings peace? Are you a peacemaker? That is how we should be identified. And if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're filled with the Spirit, you will not cause trouble. You will not cause anxiety. You will bring peace. Romans 12:18. if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Of all people in the world, we are to be the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. An awful lot of people who name the name of Christ who do nothing but stir up trouble everywhere. Second Peter 3.14 Beloved, since you look for these things, the coming of Christ, be diligent to be found by Him. I love this. To be found by Him when He comes in peace. In peace. Spotless and blameless. If Christ were to come right now, would you be found in peace with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, people you work with? You need to be the peacemaker. People who walk in the Spirit show the bouquet of love, joy, peace, and more. Finally, we, we ask, what's the source? Well, we already know that because it's the fruit of the Spirit. The source, the power, is the Holy Spirit. But again, John 14, 27 needs to be added to that. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. My peace I give you. How does that peace come to me? Verse 26, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things. The God of peace sent His Son. His Son gave us His peace. It is distributed to us by the Holy Spirit. All these things come from the Spirit of God. The kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Your life, if you're walking in the Spirit, is manifestly full of love, full of joy, full of peace in every circumstance. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website, gty.org. And for details about the Masters University where John serves as president, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file.
Created for work? This is Ken Ham, a missionary to our evolutionized culture, even the church. Work can be hard and tiring. Often it's anything but enjoyable. But did you know we were created by God for work? In Genesis, we read that God created Adam and Eve in his image to represent him on earth. And they were commanded to have dominion over the earth. Now this implies that they were to take care of the creation entrusted to them. And God specifically tasked Adam with the job of tending and keeping the Garden of Eden. Work isn't a bad thing. When we work, create and design things, we're copying our creator. He's the one who made the universe and sustains it. So while work may not always feel good, we're designed for it. But why is it so hard? We'll find out tomorrow. Subscribe to receive free daily insights from Ken Ham delivered to your inbox when you visit AnswersRadio.com. You'll be encouraged and equipped at AnswersRadio.com. Can't beat me then
before that, we had Fruit of Spirit and Lightning with Control. I'm your host, Melissa, spelled M E L I S S A and Control, C A N C H O L A. Find me on Facebook as Melissa A. Control and also in the Truthy Toll group. So it's Truthy Toll Radio. Look for that on Facebook, our group. And I think it's actually like a a page, like a like page. And uh, thanks for listening. And next one I'm going to do for you is another play from, this is from Wretched. It's called The World View Behind Black Lives Matter and Feminism here on Truthy Toll Radio. Welcome to the postmodern era. Reason? Forget about it. Logic? No way. Individual? Uh uh uh. Collectivism. That is the postmodern era, and that's what we're seeing on the college campuses today. This is the environment. Be warned. I'm not going to make a law where there is no law. You send your kid to whatever school you choose. But if you choose to send your child to a public university, this is what they are going to be immersed in. That's what we just saw. That's, this is the debate of our age. This is why multiculturalism is good. An individualistic American patriotism is bad. Where does, you're wondering what happened to patriotism. What happened to, we love America. No, we're just, we're a part of the world. It comes from postmodernism. Worldviews have results. They have an impact on culture. Capitalism is bad. Getting ahead of other people. No, 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 no. Not, Not the individual, the collective. Capitalism, bad. Socialism, good. Free market, bad. Social medicine, for all, it's good. Individualism, nobody's a winner. Everybody gets a ribbon. Nobody stands apart. What are we feeling? We are feeling the effects of the secular humanist worldview. Michael Foucault said, reason is the ultimate language of madness. That's pretty clear. For a postmodern, Richard Rorty said, because words don't have objective meaning, we use language ironically. That's the era we're living in. And their favorite word is deconstructionism. If you can get a hold of this, good luck. It basically teaches that we need to deconstruct what is actually known and said. This is a bit of a mess, nevertheless. It's important to understand. When you read a book... Don't read what the author said. Read what the author didn't say. And then you're going to know what he really intended to mean. That's deconstructionism. So Moby Dick, for instance, is not a story of man versus nature or personal ambition. Captain Ahab is just another patriarchal authoritarian who exploits everyone in his drive to have technology conquer nature. Why? Why, why, are, why are they... Why are they reinterpreting Moby Dick that way? Because everybody brings a worldview to what they write. And so when you read Moby Dick or any other literature, you're reading the author. He's getting himself into it, or he's removing himself from it, so we need to figure out what he really means by seeing what it didn't say. Are we all following along with postmodernism? That's the world that we're living in, and it is imperative that we understand this. 
Truth is a myth. Reason is what? This is crucial, and you're going to go, suddenly a key just opened up the door to my understanding. Reason is a white European male construct. Francis Bacon, who, 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 Newton, who, who were these people? White European males. And they set up reason and logic to do what? To stay in power, to control the terms, to dictate what everybody believes and does. And all they did it for was because they were white European males to suppress women and keep the poor down. Now, I'm simplifying but that's basically the response to Enlightenment thinking. It's our current manifestation of secular humanism. Does that help you understand what's happening today? They would teach, postmoderns would say, equality is a mask that oppressors use to subjugate people. We don't really believe it. Peace and prosperity are nothing but power grabs. Listen to a quote from a postmodern. Frank Latricia. Postmodernism seeks not to find the foundation and conditions of truth, but to exercise power for the purpose of social change. The task of professors is to help students spot, confront, work against the political horrors of one's time. What are we seeing on the campuses? Postmodernism. Black Lives Matter rages against what? White European males who have been oppressing them. Now, this is not a commentary on slavery or anything else. I'm just talking about the worldview. This is how the sides are chosen. White males are oppressors, not just with black slaves, but with everybody. And so we must, and we are willing to even be violent if necessary, overthrow that structural system. Democrats fight for the poor because white Wall Street men have oppressed them. Feminists fight for abortion and sexual liberty because they've been kept barefoot in the kitchen by oppressive white males. Islamic terrorists are merely responding to white Western males who seek to impose their values on the Middle East. Capitalism is bad because it favors white European males. Do we now understand what's going on in our culture today? It is the fruit of the worldview known as secular humanism. In its current manifestation, it is known as postmodernism. It's a broken world. This is Ken Ham, and our popular life-size Noah's Ark is located in northern Kentucky. Yesterday, we learned that work is a good thing. We were created to work. But we know from experience that work is often very hard and not always rewarding. It doesn't seem like a good thing sometimes. Why is this? Well, Genesis tells us that after sin, the ground was cursed to punish Adam. Now, thorns and thistles, for example, made Adam's job caring for creation more difficult. We've been fighting these thorns and thistles ever since. In fact, the book of Romans tells us that all of creation groans from the fall. Work is hard because of sin and the curse. But that doesn't mean work is all bad. It still has a remnant of its original, very good design. More about that tomorrow. Plan your visit to the full-size Noah's Ark in northern Kentucky when you go to AnswersRadio.com. There's fun for the whole family at the Ark Encounter. Visit AnswersRadio.com. James only is.
Calvinism is the belief that the 1611 King James Version of the Bible is the only divinely authorized English translation, while modern translations corrupt the Bible. It's not just a deception, it's a satanic conspiracy against the Word of God. The most glaring flaw with this doctrine is not one verse in the Bible supports it. And that's pretty much it. It's a false doctrine. Now, if someone wants to use the King James Bible, that's fine, if you can understand it. But to say it's the only translation God approved is a lie. King James Olius argue the KJV is translated from the majority text, while modern versions are from corrupt Alexandrian texts. But the Byzantine texts used by King James translators were no older than the 11th century. We now have access to older and more reliable texts closer to the originals. King James Olius say modern translations remove references to Christ's lordship and deleted entire Bible verses. But the Byzantine text added these verses to the original text and the extra references to Christ's lordship. It's just extra pious language from some overly ambitious scribes. King James only say the 1611 authorized version is the only true Bible. Unless you have a King James Bible, you don't have a Bible. You need a King James 1611 authorized version. Actually, no one uses the 1611, which also included the Apocrypha. Today's King James Bible is the 1769 revision. God has has preserved his word, which we have in some very good translations of the Bible. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away when we understand the text. Like it says, when we understand text, W-W-T-T, and um, that's from YouTube and also their website, www.utt.com. WWTT.com. And you're saying that's Truthy Toll Radio, and it's what I do for you to play Bible Book Bop here on Truthy Toll Radio. Ryan Malachi. 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 Ryan Malachi.
Work as worship. This is Ken Ham, publisher of the Apologetics award-winning family magazine, Answers. This week we've learned that work is a good thing designed by God for us to do from the beginning. But we also saw that because of sin, work is hard and doesn't always feel like a good thing. Even in a cursed and groaning world, our work can bring glory to God. When we use the talents and the intellect God has given us, we bring glory to Him. So in our work, we're copying our Creator, the one who made and sustains the universe. When we work with the attitude that we're serving the Lord, no matter what we do, we bring glory to Him. Even though work can be hard, we can find joy in our jobs as we seek to glorify our Creator by doing our jobs well. Listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com and discover answers to your questions about science and the Bible when you visit AnswersRadio.com. If Jesus had been a baker instead of a carpenter, would Jesus bake a cake for a gay wedding? Of course not. In Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Jesus said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. If a man and another man have romantic feelings for one another, that's lust and a perversion of God's design. If they decide to marry each other and stage a wedding, what they're doing is playing dress-up and pretending to have something only meant for a man and his wife. If you want to argue that Jesus would bake a wedding cake for them, you're saying Jesus would go along with this charade that a gay wedding can even be a thing, let alone a God-honoring thing, and Jesus would contradict himself. Do you understand that when Jesus referenced the creation story in Genesis to explain how God made marriage, he was explaining how he made marriage? Jesus created marriage and sex for marriage. Jesus was there at Sodom and Gomorrah when God rained down fire and brimstone for their sexual perversion. Jesus will cast the sexually immoral into the lake of fire at the last judgment. Jesus would never encourage a person to do something he has promised he will judge with fire. He laid down his life so people would repent from sin such as this, so they would have forgiveness and then go and sin no more when we understand the text. Much loves much. We're gonna talk about BC a little bit. My depravity. 
gravity was total, not small like pox. I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks. I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor. Say, I know what the time is, but I ain't read Isaiah. I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace. My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace. I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars. Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars. Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city, Philly. Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty, Bill Lambeer style. Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child. Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city. In Christ I shine, the world's like no biggie. Whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song. 112, displayed in John, the way to respond. When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man. Microwave, wrath of God, fam. That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy. All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy. But nowadays, I'm regenerated, born again from above, fam. How else can I say that? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ, using literary devices to spit it very precise. My conversion to the master was so dramatic. I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic. The gospel was my tonic. With Christ, I couldn't lose. But to walk with God like Enoch, I knew I couldn't cruise. This walk is a beast, but nothing's greater than the cross. Saw the mark of the east and the raiders of the laws. While power records were choosing to carry G-Unit. I was on that revolutionary theme Music. The brothers from the Lou held it down as well But we noticed a big shift in 2012 Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm And crossed over without taking the crossover Made us all sober years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions They want to reach the world by all means, keep pursuing it But tell me, why they gotta this the church while they doing it that's what i wanted to say but i ain't say it though but no more laying low i want them to play it slow and i ain't dissing them my prayers are the proof like boaz without ruth is unity without truth chh is like gorillas in the mist with no brotherly love it's like philly don't exist what's happening here it's a different atmosphere cats appear most concerned about a rap career brothers overseas being slain in the sand while we're vain in our plan taking fame and some fans and i ain't got time to philosophize satan got a plot device i'm seeing lots of guys apostatize on top of all that donald trump's the president it's all good though because jesus trump's the president so more than ever i'm trying to rep the lord who bled and we ain't never going to stop Word I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation. See, the problem is sin, no riddle in it. Cause all sin got I in the middle of it. We're mad, depraved, and truly evil. We need to be born again without a Matt Damon movie sequel. In the gospel, God addresses our depravity. The lamb slain at Calvary, the depths of his agony. He rose from the grave with the funding grace. And when we come in faith, he'll bring us up from the sunken place. Our sins decrepit, depths left the mess. No rest was left till Jesus put death to death. The beauty of the victory truly is a mystery. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history. Before the cross, they were saved on credit. After the cross, we've been saved on debit. Since our champion in the great war suffered, we gonna proclaim his death like the Lord suffer. So welcome to the Still Jesus Project. Yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left. That's Shailen with Random Thoughts 3. And once you check him out, go to lampmode.com, L-A-M-P-M-O-D-E.com. That's record label. And that's Shailen, S-H-A-I-N-L-I-N-N-E. And now here he is with Immutable, here on Trippy Radio. <laughs>
what I'm writing this to you I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning Cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning And this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity Ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously Loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago Outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know But Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change I was thinking just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. When I think about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the same. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful, you never change, never change.
reversing the effects of the curse. This is Ken Ham, president of Answers in Genesis and the World Class Creation Museum. All week we've been looking at work. We've learned it's a good thing, but work can be hard because of sin. Yet we can use work to help reverse some of the effects of the curse. By using our God-given intellect and creativity, we can develop ways to make it easier to accomplish our job of stewarding creation even in a broken world. Think of all the inventions that make our lives easier and help us fight the curse. These are good things. They help us work to serve our neighbors and serve the Lord. You see, we shouldn't be working for ourselves. A biblical perspective of work is that we serve the Lord and serve others. We should do our jobs as if we're working for the Lord, not some earthly boss. Discover more about how a biblical worldview impacts our thinking in all areas at AnswersRadio.com. And listen to this program again or others like it at AnswersRadio.com.
Mark 6, Jesus went with his disciples to his hometown of Nazareth, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, whose family we know? And they took great offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief and went to go teach in other villages. Now this part right here where it says he could do no mighty work there, this doesn't mean Jesus was powerless because the people lacked faith. Obviously it doesn't mean that because he did heal people. This also does not mean you must believe the Lord will do a mighty work for you to unleash his blessings upon you. Here's what we're meant to understand. Without faith in Christ, you will not be blessed to have the favor of God, nor be in fellowship with Him. No matter what Jesus did at Nazareth, they wouldn't believe. They'd known of His miracles, but only those who believe His words will be His disciples. So He healed a few on whom He had compassion, and then He left and did not return. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to Him must believe in Him, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him, when we understand the text. A future rest. This is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on the Bible's reliability and authority. This week we've learned that work is a good thing, but we also discovered that we work in a sin-cursed and broken world. This should remind us of the future rest coming to those who trust in Christ. Yes, a day is coming when there'll no longer be a curse. Our service to the Lord will be joyful and worshipful, just as it was for Adam and Eve before their sin. You see, Jesus came to earth to do his work, and he did it. That's why he cried, it is finished on the cross. While on earth he experienced all the trials of living in this cursed world, but joyfully served his Father, even unto death. We need to follow his example as we look forward to our future rest through Christ. Discover more about starting your thinking with God's Word when you go to AnswersRadio.com and sign up to receive daily insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my soul. 
Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. God, the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group. Christ brought us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch hats from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater ambient. Came a man, came as a lamb and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in a Exalted King Christ Supreme He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller The solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah When you're taking your time in the scripture, put your gate into prominent picture See his light shining bright in the night and his frightening and might in the diamond and mixture See his name at all the renown though, when he came for the loss that he found though He was tamed and floss all around but remained for the manger, the cross of the crown Yo, Satan had a choke hold on him, fight for the rope was open in All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in Riffing on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean The most rebellious, I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound Word is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was bought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly Proportionate, everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son, preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see, the father of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's potter, we are pottery. It's shocking, Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey from sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't. Acknowledge him properly You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment Study the development from Old to New Testament You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age It's relevant Crisis on its center stage 
forget religious sentiments that center on man But something less is what you're settling He is the most excellent Exercising benevolence And blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated That severed the relations between man and his maker And placed Christ on his costly cross And compensated his life, death and resurrection Emancipated and gave us freedom from it all Freedom from the effects of the fall Freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden And from the law So the saints stand and applaud His grace and glorious cause With hands raised Praising his name Singing glory to God Yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing. And forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Surprise, no surprise, I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity, his knowledge and strategies Confound the academy, bow to his majesty He paid sin salary, took our blame on Calvary Those who love his name, spread his fame is the policy All eyes on the matchless price of his sacrifice Let's prize our master Christ and rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dude to hate truth, the gospel is not fake news Our debt is sin, the gospel sweeter than it's ever been Ain't nothing changed, let us in, we got the medicine It's still human emergency, the serpent attack You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts Stand up, stand up If you truly love the Son of Man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, stand up Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust is the king, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Listen to my composition Lots of rhythm but not tradition No kind of different But God's consistent No contradiction My proposition Through crucifixion He mocked and crippled His opposition It's not some fiction I'm spitting The son of God is risen And my incentive for godly living Is I'm forgiven Jesus came to unlock the prison And through the spirit He brings a new birth Like an obstetrician At times I listen A lot of Christian hip-hop is missing The proposition It's my suspicion We drop the mission Not to this But the word of God Is it not sufficient The doctrine is That the gospel fixes our shot condition, God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness that God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the Lamb. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchasing.
the father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in him. Again, nothing's been the same since, no sin in him. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in him. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent, let the world still Jesus? When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, hand up, if you truly love the son of man, trust. Is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the Lamb. What's up?
That is the song, Sweet Song of Salvation, here on Truth Radio. And, let's see. And, she's going to go out with, uh, that's it for the show. going to go out with Yanti and Friends with the Via Real League. Bye for now. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.